how are you doing guys welcome to fit of food radio you got me and keris to listen to for the next hour in a car or maybe not an hour we're gonna do a touch we do a turbo podcast we are doing a turbo podcast because oh, i've got 30 percent battery left on my laptop which is so we don't have a choice in the yeah. matter <laughs> so we might stop eating really quickly at some point <laughs> we are actually quite randomly parked in a car park um a huge car park um what, what are these called where there's loads of shops retail, retail parks there we go <laughs> so uh yeah we're here purely because there's no peace and quiet at my nan's house <laughs> uh, so we're sat in a car hoping that no one's going to start tooting their horn or have any road rage in the background or something like that um but guys uh yeah welcome to the episode and this episode is dedicated to something that we all know and love incredibly well hold pretty dear to our hearts and that's a whole episode on bread you heard it here first. Um, <laughs> but guys, we're going to kick off with a bit of a confession. Um, and that confession is last night before, you know, this podcast is recorded, we actually scoffed a load of bread. And, I'm, and, and, and I mean... Wine. It was a proper Jesus night. Oh, it was. We, we went to town. Bread, wine, everything. Um, and you know what? It was bloody lovely. We absolutely loved it, didn't we? We, we chilled, did. watched some films, and yeah, just stuffed our faces with, with bread. Amongst other nutritional goodness as well, of course. Homemade burgers, vegetables, etc., etc. Yeah, so, uh, but guys, hear us out. So before any of you kind of unsubscribe and delete <laughs> us on Facebook because we've consumed bread. And uh, this was just... This was a shop-bought sourdough uh, baguette, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Man, it was good. You said that proper, like, baguette. Baguette. Um, no, because I'm trying to, you know, I'm putting it out there that it probably, you know... If, trying to make people sal- as, salivate. <laughs> as, as far as bread goes, you know, we probably could have made a better choice because there, there are artisan bakeries around here, but, but not at six o'clock at night when we're wandering around Waitrose wondering what to have for dinner. We thought this is a podcast because we were actually talking about it the, this morning. And sometimes we almost wish we were recording our conversations, don't we? Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, like uh, we were just having a good old chin wag and we just thought, this is a podcast. This is really, really helpful. <laughs> because let's drive to a car park and record it. <laughs> let's spend our Saturdays sat in a retail car park, <laughs> just looking at everyone else shopping, not doing any work. <laughs> but we love it, guys. We love it. And we thought we've got to do it whilst it's fresh in our minds. Um, the reason we wanted to do a whole episode on it is because, let's face it, Everybody loves bread, or certainly most people love bread. And, and we get a lot of questions about bread. We do get a lot of questions about bread. We, we in fact, we get a lot of um, resistance as well when we tell people to maybe reduce the amount of bread they're consuming. Absolutely. And it, even with clients, actually, recently I've had some say that they're trying to help partners and friends, and they always come back and say they absolutely downright refuse to give up. Bread. Life is not worth living yeah, basically. without bread. And it makes me laugh because I didn't eat it for years. So I, I'm sort of like, I don't get it. Chocolate, I get. But bread? Nah, I don't get it. But actually, after last night, it was rather nice. So It was amazing. I can understand. But let's start off with this because here's the good thing. Once upon a time, which does feel like a long time ago now, bread was very much an everyday thing for both of us, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, toast at breakfast, sandwiches, you know, I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but, you know, for me, it was quite standard to just have bread and butter with dinner. It didn't particularly matter what the dinner was. You made a sandwich out of everything. Shepherd's pie sandwich, <laughs> fish and chip sandwich, you know, lasagna sandwich. Yes, I've been oh, there. chip butties. There you go. Bread, <laughs> you know, you know, the saying goes, the best thing since sliced bread for a very good reason. Um, whereas now we truly see bread as a genuine treat. How cool is that? You know, something that's incredibly low cost, 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very economical in that sense. <laughs> you know, a whole, a whole baguette for less than a quid, bargain. Um, but, you know, it was so nice because we genuinely felt it was a lovely Friday night treat where we were just chilling, watching a film, bit of vino. I even had a couple of beers as well. And, and it was lovely. And we had a really nice night. And, you know, there was a few farts here and there. But <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> So, Keris, let's get into it, right? Because well, what, we're gonna, what we're actually going to talk about today, just in case people think we're just going to talk about how nice bread is, we're actually going to yeah. talk about whether Good or shout. not you should eat bread. Um, not should, that's the wrong word, but whether bread is healthy and, uh, and again, just try and individualise or personalise whether or not you eat bread because it, it has just taken the, the, the blame for a lot of issues. And the reason we decided to do this podcast is um, I had a bit of bloated and I said to Matt, oh, that's totally the bread. But actually... <laughs> Um, last night I had wine. Um, I also had um, some beans, some hummus. It could have been anything that caused the bloating, but yeah. I instantly said, oh, that's the bread, because it did used to cause me real digestive problems. Over the years, I've done elimination diets. I've worked really hard to fix my gut. I don't overtrain. So many things have changed, uh, but, but it's really easy to just blame bread. And, and really, it's... it's um, poor bread. Poor bread. We've got a podcast coming up for you guys with Rannick um, of the 100 Rep Challenge where we start to talk about how it's never one thing that causes your health issues. Yeah. Um, and it's really important to look at the bigger picture. And one thing I'm going to do on a future podcast is work, uh, talk you through what you call... We call it the client story or the patient's timeline in functional medicine, which is where you look at every factor that might contribute to ill health. And it can be even the relationship that you're in at the time. So the fact that Matt made me have bread last night... I made you. I was floating. It was your idea. I'm joking. You shouted me over and I look over she's waving a baguette in the air. (laughs) (laughs) Bless me. (laughs) But, so... Uh, I suppose the way to strip this back is to say, firstly, um, there's lots of different myths out there about about bread and about about wheat and about grains generally um, that sort of need clearing up. And what I'm really what's really cool is the paleo world is actually sort of backtracking a little bit on a lot of the the things that were said a few years ago. So, for example, um, one of the arguments in the paleo community for avoiding grains is that they contain phytates um, and basically what we call anti nutrients. So maybe components that that either we can't break down very well so they'll damage our gut wall or they'll block the absorption of really precious minerals like zinc and magnesium which we need for everything from just fat loss to energy production to immune system every human function you can imagine needs those micronutrients so if you're having bread for like matt was uh, toast for breakfast sandwich for lunch and then a couple of rounds of bread with your evening meal there's a chance you're not possibly getting some of those micronutrients even if you've got really um, nutritious meals so that was one argument and I still think that that's that is quite important but what Matt and I were saying was there's some cherry picking of information because there's phytates in a lot of paleo foods and people are still whacking those down so like nuts coconut chocolate you know no one gave up those necessarily in their paleo diet and if you're following your um if you're having like a paleo bread with nuts in and then following that with say some dark chocolate after your lunch um you know and maybe some coconut coconut treats after dinner you're still getting you know a big whack of phytates um so you're no better off basically is what i'm just trying to say so again there's no point in blaming uh the bread for that um the other side of it another argument so i had the um a great opportunity to see someone called dr alessio fasano speak at a cam conference that's um complementary and alternative medicine and i really encourage everyone to check out this guy um online because he is the person who was almost (laughs) given a nobel uh prize uh tommy wood corrected me on that because i thought he did get a nobel 
Nobel Prize. He should have done. Uh, for discovering... Um, how gluten, which is obviously a component within um, wheat and some other grains, affects um, the gut, um, well, affects gut health in that it basically encourages the production of something called zonulin, which makes the gut wall open up. So we call it leaky gut, but it's actually a function that t- probably takes place for a good reason. Mm-hmm. So most functions in the body happen for a reason, and there will have been maybe some evolutionary benefit to it. Um, and he discovered that it was gluten um, or was causing zonulin to basically cause the gut to leak. So again, if you have digestive issues, um, if you have autoimmunity, um, and in our second book, a uh, little plug there, we list all the diseases uh, which are uh, classified as autoimmune mm-hmm. Um, so some of them uh, most people will know, like, um, so celiacs is an obvious one. We know that gluten is strongly linked to celiacs. Um, but actually, if you have any autoimmune disease, so like rheumatoid arthritis or any of the, the thyroid ones like Hashimoto's, um, it's really worthwhile considering complete elimination of gluten. But I'd also, um, and I'm going off on a, a little bit of a tangent here, is there anything you want to say, Matt? No, <laughs> you look at you a bit. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm listening. <laughs> oh yeah, keep going. So, so first of all, that there is that argument with bread. So, um, but what Alessio Fasano? This is the point I want to make. So Alessio Fasano said there's lots of arguments out there that wheat has changed because with with uh, processing, um, so we've been having. I mean, grains generally are a very late addition to our diet when you think, first of all, we were meat and veg, then we added in dairy, then we added in um, grains, then we started <clears throat> grinding down the grains into, and legumes, sorry, were, were sort of um, just before dairy. Then we started grinding down um, uh, grains into flours, so we're changing the, the composition, which, is, which had a, a big impact on our digestive systems and, um, again, how we, how we digest the food and the effect it has on our blood sugar. Um, so we get flour in our diet, which I think most people do benefit from limiting. Wouldn't you yeah. agree? Yeah, no, I was going to say, I mean, it's, it's not even necessarily a case of, oh, you know, I, I can never eat bread again or, you know, going to such extremes. But, you know, for, for a lot of people that we work with, you know, just even if they're not celiac, you know, just reducing consumption of like processed flours, yeah, is you worthwhile. Know, is beneficial, from and a, and they nine times out of ten experience a hell of a lot of benefit for doing so. Yeah, and I'd say that's digestively and that's hormonally. So in terms of blood sugar management and weight loss and appetite and um, controlling um, their appetite, I always think that that flour is a really good one to go. Do you know what? All flours going. That's tapioca flour, potato flour. That's all of them. Um, so what he pointed out, Alessio Fasano, which is a really cool point, is that um, although we have been changing wheat and obviously it's now becoming genetically modified as well, it's actually not been changed that much over the last 50 years. But autoimmune diseases, including celiacs, so that's like a celiacs is when uh, basically the body starts to attack the um, cells that line the intestinal wall. Um, so people can't produce <coughs> digestive enzymes and break down their food very well. And it makes them incredibly sick. Um, that's rising really, really quickly, but we haven't changed the wheat that much. Mm-hmm. So he said, you can't just blame what we're doing and, and changing wheat um, because actually that not much has been going on there for the last, I think it was 100 years, he said it's not really changed that much, but the diseases and uh, the allergies and responses to eating wheat and gluten are rising really quickly. And so <clears throat> he said... Can, can I just ask a question? Because... No, no <laughs> shut up. Me. <laughs> yeah. <a> question. Um... <laughs> 
Raise your hand. Because obviously, over the last hundred years, you know, we're saying like we itself hasn't changed, etc. Yeah. But then, you know, like when you when you do speak to, you know, like when we have conversations with my nan and your grandparents and kind of almost how life was. Still doing that bloody diet. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like when you talk to them about when they were our age. Yeah. There was such. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, there there were, you know, they they lived through wars and things like that. But then, you know, let's brush wars to one side for a moment (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, but their day-to-day lives didn't involve so much stress that there is today I mean that might be phrased wrong in that I think what people perceive as stressful and chaotic now probably wasn't the the case some years ago when like, like for example like when I when I listen to what my nan used to do when she looked after her kids and then grandkids and all of that responsibility she had, um, you know, and she worked as well. And then how, but how she kind of completely took that in her stride and, and, and her role as, a, as yeah. a mother, as a grandmother. And then I look at, like, some parents now, you know, who just completely lose their, their mind over those those kind of situations yeah. and it's almost like i don't know if stress is perceived in a different way or we are just definitely more stressed now than we used to be with everything that's going on like more access to bad news yeah, you know yeah. social media etc <laughs> etc et and i think like surely stress i mean we've always said stress is incredibly catabolic it's pro-inflammatory and i think so many people now are chronically stressed yeah you know so is there something to be said for for that in terms of you know wheat hasn't changed that much over the hundred years but we have do you know what it's that's a really um valid point because i'm glad it was because i started <laughs> to think am i going anywhere here <laughs> Am I just waffling? No, no, you're absolutely right. So in terms of autoimmunity generally, which is when the body starts to attack itself, one of the biggest triggers that I see in clients is always stress. So when I ask them questions about health history, um, they might have been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. And sorry, I've just got to tell people, someone has just got out of the car in front of us in a full-on onesie that says what? Slacker. Slacker down it in massive letters. A onesie. Wow. He's, he's rocking that. <laughs> Sorry, right, back on subject. Yeah. So, um, autoimmune, so with autoimmunity, stress is always a trigger and the people that tend to have, a lot of us have genetic predisposition for autoimmune diseases. If you ask the generations before you, so grandparents, great-grandparents, you might find that thyroid disorders, um, arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis is the autoimmune version. Run in the family, but not everyone gets it. But then because somebody had an incredibly stressful job, um, experienced something very tragic, maybe moved country, and that is very stressful to the body and has to, you know, the immune system has to adapt and or travels a lot. So there's huge amounts of, um, um, you know, immune issues with, with traveling, especially long haul flights. Then the autoimmune disease is able to basically, um, you see that, that gene expression and they fall ill. Um, so you're absolutely right. Um, the other component to it, which is slowly coming through, is the environment is so different to what mm. our grandparents uh, lived in. So chemical exposure is just off the scale at the moment. And again, there are um, you know thousands of chemicals that are in our daily environment that haven't even been tested really for human safety. Um, one of the best resources on this subject is Environmental Working Group. Um, but just where possible, you just need to... To try and make your household um, and all the things you're putting in your body and on your skin just just not 
contain chemicals. And a big thing with bread is, uh, and this is something our grandparents did notice, but they choose to ignore, is now the, the loaves of bread sit on the shelves for like months <laughs> because they are basically packed with preservatives uh, and things to keep, you know, it's not like a, a to remember, like as a kid, it was all fresh bread and, and basically... Was, and then it was stale the next day. Yeah, basically. And I remember, I mean, I was really lucky. My mum used to bake most of our bread. So um, she made it all at home because we lived in a, in the Peak District in a little village. So there were no supermarkets. Um, and I count myself incredibly lucky for that. And she used to have to buy the fresh yeast. And my mum says now she can't even get the same yeast that she would have brought mm. years ago to make the bread. It's all like um, fast acting yeah. yeast, which um, I remember Phil Learning mentioning in a... In a a seminar we went to and he said that's also a massive issue for people's guts mm. is these fast acting yeasts that are in things that you know you're not leaving everyone just wants to speed everything, everything up, up. Yeah. yeah yeah my mum used to leave the bread for hours and hours and hours you'd open the airing cupboard and there'd be like 25 cobs in there yeah. <laughs> as we call them um so there's that that's also different we're totally going off a tangent but we've just brought it back to bread so you know buying bread from a supermarket that's packed if you look at the list of ingredients and there are several it should just be basically i think it's flour water yeast i think that's it i'm not very yes i'm not a bread maker as there's you not, can not tell. much else definitely not much else in there so if you're seeing these massive lists of ingredients and interestingly yesterday you picked up some gluten-free stuff um in the supermarket and we were just reading the ingredients it and was glucose syrup rice syrup um e-numbers preservatives it was incredible wasn't it 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 was it was no different to like picking up a pack of biscuits and reading the ingredients on the back of there like so many ingredients so many e-numbers and stabilizers and syrups and god knows what else like keris mentioned and i you know it's just like unless you are celiac and have like a crazy reaction to gluten just have some bloody bread well, what because there's because probably less crap w- in, in just regular bread than there is the gluten-free stuff. I wouldn't even recommend them to celiacs because remember with autoimmunity, chemicals and these additives, mm-hmm. preservative stabilizers oh, no, are as aggressive to the gut and to your immune system. So you're swapping one poison for another in that sense if you are a celiac. So I would say if you're celiac, most people, and we, we've put this in the second book, I've said if you've got an autoimmune condition, I think you're better off going grain-free for definitely trial it for one to three months Mm -hmm. um there is this um stipulation that gluten the effects of gluten and its um impact on the immune system can last for about three months so you've got to give it up for about three months to really benefit but i'd add in just grains generally you know like to get them all out and try and repair your gut and then you can try or maybe some pseudo grains um buckwheat that sort of stuff and see see how you get on um so with uh, the stuff that Alessio Fasano is brilliant uh, his sort of points about the wheat is really really interesting but the so what he said was um uh, basically what is it that's causing these these reactions and as Matt mentioned you've got um, celiacs is when you can't have uh, gluten at all because gluten causes that um <clears throat> attack on the intestinal the cells on the intestinal wall um and then secondly, you also have something called... Um, <laughs> now, when you go to a GP with some digestive issues, you'll be tested for celiacs. And then you might be tested for something called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's slightly different. You can also have something else, which is just a wheat allergy. So it's not even the gluten you're reacting to. It's the proteins in the wheat. And there are about 25 different proteins that your body might perceive as um, an enemy that could be in, in wheat and gluten. So... 
the GPs at the moment are only testing a couple of these. And when people come to me and say they've been tested, um, I think if there's a genuine um, suspicion that they have celiacs, and that's more sort of like diarrhea, chronic stomach pains, vomiting, um, not just, you know, generally with digestive problems, if it's like bloating and constipation and wind and things like that, I, I tend to look more at dysbiosis and um, small intestine bacterial overgrowth first, um, or maybe a parasite. If it's a little bit more like, wow, you know, um, basically... Um, crapping through the eye of a needle sort of thing <laughs> and I'm like okay let's get this tested inflammatory bowel disease celiacs that sort of stuff but the GPs aren't testing all of the proteins so you probably have to go to somewhere like um, Cyrex Labs um, which in the UK is offered those tests are offered by Regenerous and actually be tested properly I think it's um, RA I can't remember the number but there's one that tests all the gluten proteins um, but the easiest way is to eliminate um, yep. And absolutely 100% elimination. So that's that's really not eating out that much either because there'll be cross-contamination when you eat out. Um, often they'll have they'll use the same cooking utensils. They'll be um, in dressings and things. There might be flowers. So it's really hard to eat fully but, gluten-free. But, but would you say, you know, this this is for maybe someone who's suffering from yeah. quite bad... Yeah, so this is, this is anyone who's got like, some severe digestive problems. And also, again, if you've got an autoimmune condition and you want to know, um, again, I, I, I can't see any reason to keep gluten and if you've got an autoimmune condition it doesn't yeah. it, it chances are it's it's um causing some issues by making the gut leak and when you've got an autoimmune disease generally all the studies are showing that the the leaky gut is always present with autoimmunity and what isn't really understood is what came first did the gut start leaking and then you get all these immune responses or did the um the gluten cut or, or whatever it might have been uh, was it the other way around basically and you got the autoimmune disease and it was and then the gut starts to leak we don't know which one came first as i understand it at the moment so um going back to alessio fasano the 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 question to him that was well that he answered his next point was you're all probably wondering why the hell are all these issues with wheat and gluten increasing we haven't changed the wheat that much yeah um and one point he made was that I think it was a third of the US population has the gene type, which you can have tested in 23andMe. Me and you both had the gene type that would predispose us to celiac disease. Right. Um, but not everyone, so that not a third of the population, US population, has celiacs. So he said something is happening, which is making some people have that autoimmune expression and some people don't. And this is what we just started to talk about. So um, he said there are several factors. So we have things like stress. We have things like vitamin D levels and sunlight exposure. So the fact we don't go outside and put sunblock on is massive. And, and anyone with autoimmune conditions, I always get to get their vitamin D tested mm -hmm. and then look at supplementation. A safe supplementation level might be like 2,000 IUs for most of us to do on a daily basis. Chemical exposure, so people working in environments that expose them to a lot of chemicals. And interesting, that can be like just working in a shop, you know, where they have loads and loads of air fresheners and cleaning. You yeah. know, they're constantly disinfecting everything. Uh, but a big factor, he said, was if you look, if you plot autoimmune diseases around the world um, against infectious diseases, so infectious diseases are more like... Um, you know, basically ones that are caught through water, but, you know, you haven't got very good water or sanitation. Um, all of the sort of developing countries have the infectious diseases and all of the developed countries have the autoimmune diseases. And wow. the graph's incredible if you see it laid out. If you Google it, I've, it's online now. Um, autoimmune diseases versus infectious diseases. And basically all the developing countries um, have all these issues with autoimmunity because we've become too clean. And what we're doing is um, we're changing how we're born. So, for example, he was talking about if you're cesarean born, 
you don't get that exposure to your mother's bacterial um, sort of beneficial bacteria, which is in the birth canal and in the vagina, it goes into the baby's mouth and nose. Um, <clears throat> if you're not breastfed, there's more um, probiotic and prebiotic bacteria being transferred through the breast milk. Um, amazingly, he talked about how during pregnancy, the mother and the mother's body is almost assessing the environment and what sort of um, what the baby's needs will be in terms of their immune system, and and actually um, cherry picking or, or like preferentially selecting bacteria the baby is going to need from her own, and obviously from dad's. I think you get a bit of your dad's as well. Um, and basically making sure that's all transferred to the baby. Mm -hmm. So your mum is turning you into almost like giving you the best chance you could have in terms of the the um, the balance or the um, um, the the profile of bacteria that you would have when you're born. Um, so that's if we do things as Mother Nature intended, and often we don't nowadays because um, I think cesarean births are increasing quite a bit. And um, again, it's not that Emma Myhill is probably going to talk about this a little bit more. There are several reasons for that, and some of them are that, um, you know, perhaps women are, like you've said, all through pregnancy, they carry on working and, and almost trying to do things um, rather than just kicking back, being pregnant and relaxing. Yeah. Um, you know, they're actually still continuing to work really hard and, 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 and finishing work a week before they're due to go into labour. And, um, you know, I, I just have this suspicion that because we are just still very, um, you know, sort of almost treating pregnancy like a bit of an inconvenience sort of thing, <laughs> that actually when it comes to the birthing you. process, you know, women aren't very relaxed. They're not very, you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's loads of reasons. I'm, I'm going to talk through a few with Emma, so that's going off track a little bit. But um, so again, and then being bottle fed and what he was saying was the bottle for the formula feed, as much as we can put some probiotic bacteria in, it almost doesn't match your environment because mm. that's what your mum would have done very naturally. Um, she would have chosen the bacteria that, that she knew that you needed. There are a couple of changes. And then, of course, this obsession with hygiene. So he was saying, and then we just basically strip the bacteria off everything in the house by bleaching, disinfecting, um, especially with babies, yeah. boiling bottles. And actually, if we built up the immune system a little bit more with loads of fermented foods, um, and so if mum's eating all the fermented foods um, through pregnancy and dad's eating them uh, you know, at the point of conception, then baby's getting a nice, good army of bacteria. And then, of course... Um, breastfed obviously and then as soon as you start weaning get some fermented foods in quite quickly as well as the usual sort of um, egg yolks and liver and loads of nutritious foods um, and, and not go too crazy with the cleanliness so um, I have some really wonderful pictures of me as a baby out in the garden um, where my mum used to just plonk me out and I used to dig up all of the um, I used to quite like eating the peas out the garden <laughs> But also, I was also eating quite a lot of soil. There's pictures of me just filthy from head to toe. We had dogs, and there's loads of pictures of the dogs just licking my face. I used to sleep basically with my head on the dog, um, you know, and he would always just sort of, like, lick your face and things like that. Yeah. The, pro the, the dog's saliva is packed with probiotic bacteria, which is amazing. That's why they lick wounds and, and try and lick you. Like, Hamish was trying to lick your nose the other day when you had a cold. Yeah, was, <laughs> so, I'm sure they can, they can smell almost when, like, illness. there's a virus. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you know. give that me. And he was licking your nose. It was so cute. Um, so, yeah, so so animals are amazing because um, what what you're doing in these couple of years um, by by getting soil, hang, hanging out in the garden as you, as you should do as a kid um, and being exposed to pets is allowing your immune system to learn um, and to understand what is an enemy and what is, is, mm -hmm. is quite safe. And that's what we're not doing. So not, not letting kids get near animals, not letting them um, get dirty and then obviously just filling the house with chemicals is changing 
um, the balance of bacteria in the child. And that's having a knock-on effect later in life. So basically, that's where some of these um, almost hyper-allergic reactions to, uh, so, sorry, like, like to foods are coming mm -hmm. from. And that can be any type of food. So that was great when he was saying this is one of the biggest problems. Is like how we are basically destroying the natural um, sort of sort of uh, the natural way that our immune system should be built, and and how our immune system interacts with our environment is being destroyed. So it's all about the environment. It is. So, so just going back to the bread. <laughs> what? Well, let's so to wrap it up there. Yeah. So are we saying that bread can feature in a in a healthy lifestyle? I think it absolutely can. But Yay! I think <laughs> so. If you have, firstly, there's scales to it. If you've got digestive disorders, it's definitely worth eliminating. Um, most, as we've sort of said, most grains, uh, definitely gluten and wheat. Wheat is also a FODMAP, that's a fermentable carbohydrate, so yep. it can, if you've got dysbiosis, it's going to cause a lot of bubbling and wind <laughs> and, and all sorts of, um, you know, sort of <clears throat> basically digestive issues that you want to take out for that reason. Um, some people, again, if you've got immune system issues, anything that says inflammation, so that's um, basically rashes, itching, pain, um, swelling and also even just excessive mucus so snottiness sinus problems get the wheat out get the gluten out i'd probably also take out dairy which is a very similar cross-reactive protein so it behaves a bit like gluten in people that are reacting to gluten remove those three as an absolute start for 10 um, when you're sort of fixed and healthy and this is also down to because we're trainers so for me I had to stop also beating my body up with exercise quite a lot yeah. um, and then found I was able to tolerate some of these foods again so you fix your gut up in the background um, that's with bone broth with liver you might need to do some antimicrobial stuff with some herbs and oregano to kill off any bad bugs um, you get loads of fermented foods back in prebiotic foods garlic, leeks, onions herbs and spices for antioxidants uh, coffee and chocolate are prebiotics, which is pretty cool. Yeah, baby. Build up your good bacteria to the point where Who you can tolerate. Who said being healthy isn't fun? Eh? I know, I know. Uh, yeah, loads of good bacteria. We've got Claire in our 365 guiding people through how to ferment uh, loads of food. So that's um, she does water kefir, coconut water water kefir claire has an autoimmune disease so she is so awesome at she, adapting if, recipes. i mean if you saw her before and after of her yeah. psoriasis amazing it is mind-blowing she has done so well hasn't she yeah and she's fully, fully taking it. it on board and she's just so just seems so happy to do it you know i know it's because it is a lot of work you know like she i mean she's got she has four, no she's got four kids a yeah. husband you know she cooks for everybody and on top of that she's got um you know an autoimmune disease that requires a lot of attention because there's a lot of things she can't have otherwise she has a major flare-up she's absolutely phenomenal and we're so pleased to have her as a mentor as part of our fear 365 aren't we absolutely what's so cool about Chloe? she knows her kids are high risk for autoimmunity so she's getting fermented foods into them in ways that i would never have dreamed of including she has this mint choc chip ice cream made with kefir mm. um, and she has a cream soda again made with um, um basically vanilla and um a kefir water and just cool she's so cool so just going back to once you've fixed your gut um that what you might want to do then is go for um I'd always just look for homemade and artisan bread. So sourdough's cool because yeah. it's fermented over usually 24, 48 hours, I think. I'm not a bread expert. So again, you know, it's, it comes back to quality, quality yeah, as always. And the yeast will not be the fast-acting yeast. So you may find in a nice, relaxed environment,
moment is the first time I try it, so you're not stressed out, not post-workout <laughs> or anything. Make, you... make sure it's not comfort food. It's because you're chilling, relaxing, you just fancy a bit of bread. Yeah, and also and a, just film. a small amount. So don't... And a glass of wine. Matt actually had about <laughs> two-thirds of the baguette, which is probably a little bit too much in my mind. It but was. have a small amount, as you would have done before bread became this, this thing that you put on a pedestal, um, just a couple of slices, and see how you get on. And what most people find is it's absolutely fine and... For us, I think it'll stay on a, the special occasion list more because I've had just such a history of digestive disorders and Matt has a lot of yeast problems. <laughs> so, and I'm he very also, yeasty. Yeah, you have no off switch when it comes to bread. I couldn't so, believe it when you were waving that baguette around. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's Christmas. This, this, so, this is amazing. So, yeah, so that would be cool. where I'd be at. And then if you're going to do the gluten-free stuff, I would make it yourself at home. Mm-hmm. Get some gluten-free flours um, and just do it, do it yourself. Because, awesome. like I said, in the, in, the, in the supermarkets, it's full of other sh- Shite. Awesome. So, guys, you heard it here. Bread can be part of a healthy lifestyle. It's you know. good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, yeah, in a nutshell, you know, um, listen to your body. That's the most important thing. You know, if you are consuming it and then having kind of adverse effects afterwards, chances are something's up. Um, but then don't kind of like just brush it off and say, I can never eat bread again. Don't demonize you know? one thing. Exactly. It's never one thing. Look at the bigger picture. Guys, I hope you enjoyed that uh, kind of express episode. Um, and of course, please share. Share it, review it um, if you liked it, of course, and we'll S- say... send it to anyone that's addicted to bread. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> yeah. um, so, guys, we will see you in episode number sixty-four. Have a good one. Bye.